now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately under the weather. We're hoping he might, uh, might pop up at some point here, but uh, regardless, get well soon, Abe. Uh, Out Now is a film podcast where Aaron and I normally discuss the movies weekly. Like to have, uh, we also like to have these special bonus episodes with one of our fun commentary tracks or something a little different. And this is a little different. It's just more uh, a review-focused episode this week as we got a couple movies we wanted to talk about. But we don't want to do necessarily a full show. So this week we are talking Men, Chip, and uh, let me check my notes, Dale, uh, the three of them. Uh, we're talking all these things this week and more. Uh, and joining me to discuss uh, Men specifically we have from Why So Blue. He was caught stealing apples from the tree again. It's Peter Paris. <laughs> hey, everybody. How are you doing, Peter? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, had a most, mostly relaxing weekend getting over uh, kind of a little stomach bug. Uh, but yeah, not a bad weekend. I've, it's been nice in L.A., not too hot, not too cold. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's a, sounds good. It was a, a little south of you. It's a little... It was a little cool, but it warmed up a bit yesterday. I was with the lovely. Oh, yeah, I guess. I was, it's a little... I, was, I was with my lovely girlfriend. We we had a nice time yesterday outdoors. So yeah, it is, it's a nice nice little May gray weekend that's brightening up a bit here. <laughs> and that's been the out now weekend weather report. So let's move on now. <laughs> let's get to some show notes here. Uh, first up, let's talk about the box office. Of course, Peter, you were involved in this. Our summer gamble X, uh, the tenth summer movie gamble, where we try to predict the top 10 highest grossing films at the box office and this week we have it we have a new entry uh, that many people have predicted downton abbey a new era opened in theaters this weekend and yeah you'll, you'll be talking about us about that a little later but for the terms of the box office it opened to 16 million uh good enough for the number two slot this weekend on the charts um men by the way opened at like three million i want to say um and uh, i feel like somebody put that as one of their dark horses and now i just say you shouldn't have done that. Uh, but um, <laughs> as far as as far as down to Abbey goes, uh, I know I have it as my number ten. I know a lot of people either have it like really low on the list or on their dark horses. Um, Sixty million, entirely impossible to tell how good that's going to be as far as where things end up. That could be good enough uh, to make it to number ten if it even if the, if the movie makes enough money to get it to you know. I assume if that kind of opening, if it legs it out, maybe above. 60 million we'll see uh but i don't know i have no idea um it's certainly down from the pre- the previous downton abbey uh, which kind of assumption by default based off it being both a sequel it, we'll talk about the movie more but you know in covid times as far as the age groups that are going to theaters more regularly probably not the downton abbey audience but you know we'll see uh, meanwhile, Doctor Strange made another $30 million at the box office. It's down about 49%, so it's like evened out at this point. It's still making tons of money. It's going to finish out probably around $400 million, so, you know, the, the multiverse of madness uh, will stay open. Um, but, yeah, so some box office stuff there. We'll see how things keep going as we go throughout the summer. Uh, next weekend, another big weekend as far as that goes. Um, but what else? Um, iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for our show, Out Now Out and Abe, you can find our show. You can give us a rating review, which would be wonderful. And, um, of course, a commentary track. Uh, every month we do a commentary track on the show. It's always a lot of fun. Just recently we did Face Off. This coming month, as, as this week, uh, we'll be recording our commentary for Top Gun. Uh, oh, nice. So, so uh, stay tuned uh, for that one. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's our show notes here. So let's move on. Let's get to uh, well, let's let's get right to our trailer talk for the week. We have a new trailer that we want to talk about. So this is where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. 
And uh, this week we have the first trailer for George for for the mad genius George Miller's Three Thousand Years of Longing. Uh, this is, the, of course, the latest film from George Miller. Uh, it I believe just premiered at Cannes at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it focuses on uh, Timothy uh, Timothy Tilda <laughs> Timothy Swinton. <laughs> It focuses on Tilda Swinton as some kind of, like, scholar who receives a container containing a djinn um, who offers her, like, wishes in exchange for his freedom. The djinn, in this case, is played by Idris Elba, and based on the trailer alone, we're getting a lot of wild and crazy visuals that feel entirely appropriate for a George Miller film where he makes basically a genie movie. Peter, what's your thoughts on the the trailer for 3,000 Years of Longing? I thought because I mean because of the talent involved, um, I'm I'm very curious to see it, and I thought there were some great there was some great kind of like sense of energy and color scheme. However, uh, the premise, just the genie thing, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where it's like because it's George Miller, I'm like okay I'm because it's George Miller I am assuming he has something. He's got he's got to take here or something that I'm that I that that hopefully will su- surprise and delight me. Um, but the premise itself, I was like, wait, I was like, that's what the movie's about. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, it looked cool. I guess I'm just hoping. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there's uh, like the way that it's presented or something. His execution, which I do like for Miller, is what kind of like makes the whole thing worthwhile because the premise itself, I was like, eh, it seems okay. Like, you know, um, although I do like in the trailer when she says, what is she? She's like something like, Oh, I wish I never met you or something. And he's like, well, you, you shouldn't have said that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, uh, I like that moment. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've watched the trailer a number of times at this point, cause it's very involving, um, with the whole rhythm and the vibe of it. And it's certainly, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I, I guess a teaser. Of, it explains the premise fairly well enough, but it's certainly just giving you a hint of the madness to come with his visuals. Um, I like George Miller a lot. I think he's a, his filmography is quite impressive when you really look at it as far as the kind of variety of stuff he's done and the way he's injected his personality into his film. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, if he wants to make a, 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 a ostensibly a genie movie... I want to see what that looks like. I think what I, but the the things that reminded me of are something like either like a cloud atlas or like a, the fall as far as where it's going with what it wants to show you. Like it feels like there's a lot of hints at us seeing things that like Idris Elba has seen in his lifetime, given that the movie's called Three Thousand Years of Longing. So I, I I'm very curious like how it's going to delve into, I guess, the experiences either he's had or what he wants to show Tilda Swinton's character. Um, and so I'm just, I, I'm wrapped up in what this is like go, going to end up being as far as it's, especially with George Miller, like in between Mad Max movies, <laughs> like he's like, yeah, I have this story I wanted to tell for the longest of time. So let's see where, let's see what this is. Uh, I am curious and I want to hear your opinion on this. I mean, he's coming off of Mad Max Fury Road, which won what, like six Oscars, blockbuster film, regarded as one of the if not the best of the last decade as far as movies go and he currently has this movie that's getting a lot of like can film festival buzz do you think in an age we're in right now is that going to get audiences to be like i need to see this in a theater huh i'll, uh, I'll preface it with this currently uh, everything everywhere all at once another weird very visually intensive movie has just become a24's largest film of all time 
um, at least in the America. Like in America, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's on its. I mean, worldwide, it's on its way. Like it possibly could, given the rate that it's going at. But what, what would we, in that regard? Where do you like this movie's coming out in late August? Do you think audiences will be like, I need to see this crazy movie of Idris Elba until this win? I think so. They, I can see what you're saying. Um, I will say, I think that the the difference though um, is that like I do think the the multiverse thing probably, you know, from Marvel or whatever is kind of a thing that, you know, people are kind of interested in. And the other thing is that everything everywhere all at once really rode on really terrific reviews and word of mouth. And then it kind of just like got bigger and bigger. So we'll have to see mm -hmm. if that happens for this movie. I would say if the if the reviews end up being amazing and it's a, oh, you've just got to see this on the big screen. I think it's certainly possible, especially because Idris Elba is in it. Um, but I don't know. I I feel I, I keep feeling like the everything is sort of unique for itself. You know, like, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. At this point, if you had a if you, you know, gun to my head, I would say no. I would say I don't think it'll do as big. It won't be what everything all everything everywhere all at once is. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, anything's possible. So what do you think? Well, you've answered honestly, so I'll put the safety back on my gun and holster it. Um, <laughs> I uh, I agree with you as far as the odds of this half, you know, replicating itself as far as like audience embraced an original movie for a change. Uh, yeah, I can't say that that's like definitely something that will keep happening just because that's just not the way things are working now. And I, when I say original, I understand that it's based off a novel or it's an ad adaptation of some kind. So, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm assuming audience will be like, yeah, I don't know what this is um, in terms of, in a general sense. But yeah, like, yes, everything, every wall at once is coming out a certain time of year, you know, uh, March, um, where there's not a lot crowding around. And that said, this movie's coming out late August, where there's all like, given how empty the summer is, there's also not a lot around it. It has, you know, and what I, you know, when I say everything everywhere is A24's biggest movie, it's still only made like 60 million. Like, it's not like it's making huge numbers here. This movie, and that movie cost like 20. This movie cost 60 already. Um, it's probably not going to have a staggered release in the way that Everything Everywhere always had. So it's just, it, it would really need to like defy the amount of like buzz that it's creating just from existing um, and having like interesting reviews from Cannes. It would really have to do something next level to kind of push it into this realm where audiences are frothing at the bit. Uh, to see it outside of, like, film geekdom. So, yes, in a general sense, I'm not thinking this George Miller movie is definitely going to make, you know, $300 million. Uh, will it be successful? I hope so. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to support, you know, auteurs like George Miller who are given the chance to do, you know, something basically original at the at the movie theaters uh, with a trailer that's specifically saying only in movie theaters. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so 3,000 Years of Longing opens in theaters August 31st, um, the, the end of the summer. Watch us kick ourselves when it like has a huge opening and somehow makes it to number 10 on the summer gamble list. We're like, wow, what do we do here? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, let's move on now. Let's get to let's get to our main review for men. Hello. Hi. Mrs. Marlowe, yes? Harper, yes. Diff, come in. The words I have to say. It's a beautiful house. Will it just be you staying? Or? Excuse me? Mrs. Mother? No. 
Until you give your love There's nothing more that we can do Apple from the garden? Yeah, it was delicious. No, 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 no. Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit. Oh, God, sorry, I... I I'm I, joking. I oh. <laughs> All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Men. Uh, following a couple of directorial efforts that lean towards science fiction, Alex Garland's third film is a folk horror tale. In it, Jesse Buckley's Harper has retreated to a cottage she's rented in the English countryside to get away from it all, following a tragedy in her life. The problem is, in addition to well-meaning but, but <laughs> in addition to a well-meaning but nosy owner, there are several men in the area that all have ways of bothering Harper, whether it's a lecherous vecker, a foul-mouthed boy, or a creepy naked man who seems to be stalking her. There's another aspect that's linking all these men together, but before I get to that, Peter, have you enjoyed Garland's previous directorial efforts, and what do you think of this movie? I yeah yeah I um I sort of I I think I I have overall. I've enjoyed his scripts over, you know, the last two decades, and I was a fan of Ex Machina and Annihilation. The, my, I think my biggest thing, and that will be a big part of the men discussion, is I think early on, we, with even with his scripts, he was kind of known as this person who, like, sort of has, like, last act problems. He can't quite put it all together. Sure. Um, and I will say with Ex Machina... I sort of felt that way when I saw it and then the ending kind of grew on me. And then over time I was like, no, actually I think that end works. I don't know why I thought I was a little disappointed. Annihilation. I really liked the end, but I feel like I'm in the minority on that. I think a lot of people thought the big sequence was just kind of too wackadoo or something, but actually I really liked that. If they thought um, that sequence was wackadoo, well, wait for right. this movie. <laughs> Um, here though, you know, I was like, I need to mull this over. And unfortunately I just, the more I think about it, the more I think the end is one of those things that strangely, I feel like its own kind of shock value just goes on and on. But I don't know if there's, I don't know if it really adds much to keep going on and on. And I'm not really sure if it's giving me a lot to ponder. So it would be another example where I'm like, ah, I'm like, once again, I think the, like, it doesn't really end up being a movie about too much beyond, like, the obvious. However, having said that, I think that, um, you know, it looks great. And it, I don't know if this is true. And maybe you, Bill, tell me, was this movie shot during COVID? Because it almost feels like the kind of script that he could be like, okay, I want to shoot something but I really want a minimum amount of actors and it really works for a COVID shot movie. It was filmed, um, it was filmed during March and May of 2021. So, I mean, yes, ostensibly so yeah, okay. not, not like peak pandemic, but certainly during the pandemic. Um, because it, because it, it's, it's utilizing its sparse cast in, in a very, you know, I, and then one of the other main, one of the main characters, I can say that he's had, a, is, I, I can't, I can't say that he wrote a version of the script like, a, like years ago. So it's not as though like he j it just occurred to him I need to make a movie that has minimal characters in it. He did have this idea for a while. It just you know the nature of this movie doesn't require a lot of people, so it probably certainly made it easy to put this into production as far as the limited cast goes. Did you see? Well, I guess what I was wondering too, and I, I wasn't sure of the time frame. Did you see? Um, I don't know where I was. It was a Polygon or something that in an interview for the movie or Q and A for the movie. Um, 
Alex Garland brought up Attack on Titan. Did you read that? No, I haven't. He read he brought up Attack on Titan that I think he said his daughter got him to watch it and he loves Attack on Titan. And the thing well, have you seen any of the Attack on Titan? I've seen some and I know what it is. I mean the big I mean the yeah, the big thing basically is that these big human these big humanoid giants yeah. come and attack civilization. But what he thought was so fascinating, and I can see it in men, is that he really loved how the anime would have features of the human body, the mouth, the arm, and it would be done in this way that makes it so alien, so strange. Mm-hmm. And he found that fascinating. And I can see that in this, especially the way uh, our main character, Harper, sees all of the men played by the same actor. Now I forgot his name. Rory? Rory Kinnear. Like, there are specifics of, like, you know, teeth or hands and things that are, that, again, have that alien feeling. So I thought that was interesting that I was like, oh, I can see that. I could see that, like, his him taking that kind of inspiration. Um, it's a very strange thing because I, I feel like maybe another thing is that maybe I've just gotten – I hope I'm not getting – cynical but i feel like maybe i've gotten as i've gotten older as a person who appreciates movies i feel like if you had shown me this movie 10 years ago i would have given it like like five stars or something because of the premise and the execution um and i think now i'm in a point where someone someone like garland who is so talented and makes these beautiful looking movies with really good acting he st- I still feel like you still need to have a little meat on that bones. Like you need to like give me some stuff to kind of think about. And I think in not doing that, to me, it kind of hurts the movie as I evaluate it. But when I was watching it, you know, with the way the score, the music, what's really the music, the her the scene where she, there's a scene where she's in the tunnel and she kind of does her voice and with the echoes, like that stuff is very haunting. Um, I don't know. I you know I. I'm a, I got to say I am I guess I'm more on the negative side than I'd like to be. But who knows? You know, I don't know. I mean like it might age well. I might see this, you know, 6 months from now and be like, "Oh no, that ending totally works." I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I I largely agree with what you're saying and I I look at I look at this and you you mentioned like the idea of if you're, you know, at a different time might you might have appreciated this more. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, maybe by default as far as what it's going for because of you know it's analyzing the idea of toxic men and the patriarchy and how it's cyclical and what have you it just keeps going and there's all kinds of varying degrees of horrible ways that men can act around certain women or what have you i you know given the time we're in that's maybe not the freshest of ideas to present without having more to say like just putting a highlighter over it's like yeah all right we kind of get that now if you did that years ago Perhaps that would mean something more just because of how less prevalent that was as far as the news goes. You know what I mean? No, totally. So so in that regard, I can see, yes, perhaps, and even beyond us, the general reception of this might have been warmer. As it stands, it feels like this movie's gotten not a bad regard, but it certainly has a – it's it's a bit more mixed than something like Ex Machina or Annihilation where the reviews were, you know, positive to, you know, high positive where this one feels a little more relaxed. Um, For me, for myself, again, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I do think the movie, 
as well put together as it is, because Alex Garland's proven himself to be a solid filmmaker as far as direction and various other aspects go, like, the movie has plenty of good stuff in it. There's good performances here, there's great sound work, sound design and score, there's great visuals, the English countryside is used in a lot of great ways to make it both you know, look beautiful as it needs to because of the nature of the countryside, as well as haunting because of the atmosphere. Uh, but I do think, like, the first hour of this movie, I think is pretty great. Like, I'm set up to, in you know, I'm set up to take in the kind of deliberately paced horror atmosphere that's not, like, super horrific, but it's more, like, implying that something might happen that's bad. Um, and then you do get to this third act, which goes a bit bonkers, and... I'm not against the bonkersness of it because cool. I like seeing things go bonkers. It's more of, so what is this ultimately trying to say to me? And I think we're hitting at the same thing here where it's like, okay, yeah, I got it. Like, but it's like, is there, is there more to glean from all of this? And I just don't think there really is. And yes, that does reflect some of Alex Garland's other works. I would say, you know, I would say, you know, Yes, I can recognize that there's been third act problems in some of his things, but I, th I feel like he's gotten over that in a lot of cases in more recent years. Like I, you know, the key ones that people lock onto are 28 Days Later and Sunshine, where the end of 28 Sun Sunshine is usually the one. Yeah, yeah. Like... Like, well, the end of 28 Days Later just becomes like, and now these guys are all terrible and they're trying to kill everybody. Right. <laughs> and, right. And Sunshine, it, be, it. I mean, honestly, Sunshine feels like this or in Annihilation as far as, and then it becomes really wacky. Um, like, and honestly. I've grown to kind of love Sunshine over the years. I think it just gets better and better, and I appreciate more and more about, like, where it goes versus where it begins. Uh, that's neither here nor there. After that, though, I mean, like, films like Never Let Me Go or Dread, like, those aren't movies that have issues with their third act. They're just Oh, you're right, movies. you're right. I agree. And even Ex Machina, like, I, you mentioned this. I've never had an issue with the, with the progression of Ex Machina. Annihilation, I can understand, but at the same time, it's like, it's not like this movie didn't set up like crazy things that are gonna happen in Annihilation. It's not like it's like surprise, like this is wild. Um, this like, and as I said, this was written years ago. I don't know how the evolution of the script has worked for men, but it does feel more like a regression compared to those his previous direct directed films because yeah, it feels like there's a good two thirds of here's a movie that has a very specific thing that it's going for. And then we have to end it on something. And then it doesn't feel like it comes together in a way that's more than just provocative visually. You know what's weird is that I feel like, strangely, and I, I really do want to rewatch Annihilation because I know you rewatched it recently, is that I feel like what I like about the end of Annihilation – wait, can we talk spoilers on Annihilation? I I, well, I'll say this. If you have not seen Annihilation, we're about to talk spoilers on it, so be I guess I guess for me, Annihilation and Men have a lot have similarity in that their main character is going through grief. They're processing grief. That's kind of a big thing for both Natalie Portman and Jesse Buckley's characters. And I guess I feel like in Annihilation, it's there's something kind of cool about how it ends with her battling herself. Sort of. I mean, it's. It's not really herself, but I mean, it's sort of herself, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever this bean is in the shimmer. And I guess I really like that. I guess I felt like, yeah, that, that kind of works like that sort of makes sense to me. However, what I've always had a problem with in Annihilation is I've never quite bought all the flashback stuff with the, you know, another extremely talented actor with Oscar Isaac. I always felt like 
I don't need this. I get it. I get that she was in a loving really, you know, or she, I get that she's in a relationship that she loves, but there's also problems that always that that first act always drags me down. Like, or at least it did the two times I saw it. This movie, I would say it's sort of the flip. I find all the stuff with Harper and her her husband. was going to be ex-husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought, I don't know who that actor is, but I think all that stuff's really good. Like that, that's, there's a real sense of urgency, not only because of what happens in the opening scene, um, but just their, their dialogue together, like their kind of anger and frustration, I think is very palpable. Whereas the lovey-dovey stuff in Annihilation, I was always like, yeah, this doesn't really, it seems a little flat. Or whatever, but in Men, that's this is another that I think is a movie about grief too, or or coming to terms with things. It's about it's about the favorite horror buzz term, trauma. Trauma, yeah. Oh, you're right, correct. Yes, I guess I felt like in Men. I guess what's tricky is that you know one of A24's earliest um, movies, not a hit, but a big critical darling, one of my favorites, Under the Skin. It's another movie about gender but another talented filmmaker. But in that movie, um, it's very different because obviously Scarlett Johansson is an alien, but there's a lot of like agency to being the alien and taking these people to the, whatever the version of, you know, this weird goop world is upside down world is this in this, I guess what's tricky for me is there's a lot of moments where I want Harper to not just say like fuck you or something like but to to be more like active and it's like these character the men characters kind of pile on on her and she seems to kind of take it for a long time until eventually and i guess that's where i'm like come on man like i want you to like react i don't know whereas the point character isn't like that at all so Uh, but go ahead okay there's a lot of points here uh, first up, the, the actor you're referring to as far as the husband in this movie, uh, Jesse Buckley's husband in this movie, uh, his name is uh, Papa Asidu. He was in I May Destroy You. Um, oh, you know, I never saw that. It's supposed to be great. Yeah, he was nominated for an Emmy for that role. He was ostensibly, like, not the co-lead, but certainly one of the bigger supporting player characters in that in that show. Um, I can... I think there is a deliberateness to, like, how they're functioning, right? They sort of the... the partner characters of both this and annihilation where like oscar isaac's character in that movie it's supposed to be like you know lovey-dovey but i mean you're, you're saying it falls flat i wouldn't necessarily say so but i do think it's obviously lighter compared to how dour the things he goes through as well as what the rest of the characters are going through in that movie so you can juxtapose that with you know the here's where things were this is what natalie portman could have been doing versus okay now things are just it's apocalyptic essentially if they kind of delve into this whatever dimension that they they found themselves into where this this movie you have a character that there's this intense uh relationship that's taking place as far as the flashbacks you see and it has to it ends for a reason and the rest of the movie is her like grappling with that you need to like and you need to see this state of mind that she's in as to right why she's why she needed to retreat to this place but also why she would have her guard up, I guess, for the, the the for most of this movie is and like which is stopping her from, I guess, doing more than yes, try to kind of react or take things not necessarily in stride, but certainly not go out of her way to go after the things that are coming at her. As I recall, 
tell me if I'm wrong, and I and I feel like maybe you had said this after we saw the movie. Am I right that so? I don't think this is a huge spoiler. Um, the men in this movie are played by one actor, even though he looks different. Like one one scene, he they computer generate make him supposed to look like a young boy. You know, he but it's the same actor. Yeah, so Roy, this, yeah you have Roy Kinnear like occupying the body of all these men, and he's obviously made up to look like different versions of himself. But she never really acknowledges it, does she? She never has the moment. She never has. There's literally no moment where she's like, "Why does everyone look the same?" I, like that never I, happens. I'll say like, this: I do think there's. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think like the movie's trying to communicate to us that that she that she's not. That, that she's certainly recognizing this, but I do think that there's times where she's giving like an inscrutable look where, you know, she might be reacting a certain way, but like, you're not giving a clear, a clear thought on, on what, on what she's actually seeing. Like, I, I, I don't think the movie's like saying like, the movie's not giving her a moment where she has this kind of big reaction. moment. It's like, what? You're the same as that person. Like, it's not doing that. Right. But it, but I, but I do think there's, I, I think in her performance, there's enough there to suggest like she might be take like she might be aware that she's seeing all the same people without like expressing that openly. Like maybe she just realizes she's having her own state of mind that's <laughs> that she can rightfully acknowledge without having to call it. A, I don't know. But. Yeah, no, you're right. I just and I and you're right. And I don't necessarily want it to be that literal. Sure, it is. But as the as as things get weirder and weirder. There is a thing in my mind where I'm like, okay, is it that there are just different men? She sees them as the same person, but they are different. However, then these other things happen that is so unusual and stuff. Like one, one being that one of them's their hand gets pretty hurt, and then uh -huh. the rest of the men have that issue. And I'm kind of like, okay, well. That like that's a pretty big deal, like because it's like it actually affects what this person can pick up or something. So I'm like, is that hap? So then I was like, well, is that happening? Because I can live with thinking it's really more metaphorical. It's just a lot of this is in her head. But then there are sequences where I was like, no, I feel like that has to be real. And I, I'm sure Garland is doing that deliberately. We're supposed to. Oh sure. Not really. No, I guess you know. I just. Not sure how satisfying that is, and again, I that's that's I, a, that's the thing. It's, it's the satisfaction of like what this movie's actually nailing. Like I feel like the the issue I have in this movie is not that it doesn't give you concrete answers, but I do think it feels like it's very wrapped up in the metaphor it's trying to communicate to you. With the problem being the metaphor is just not that deep. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's has more to say as far as like yeah, men can be awful, right? And it's like okay, and. I, I don't <laughs> I, I like yes I, I recognize this you're showing me a very visually creative way to emphasize this but like generally you'd get something out of that as far as what one what the you know, the opposing character ends up doing or some other thing that I you know I don't have the answer for because I'm not the writer here from Garland's standpoint it seems like he wanted to show this thing and then dot 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 like I don't know what the next step is by the end of this movie. You know, at one point, I feel like about halfway through the film, I was thinking how, you know, because this is a movie with a, you know, a strong, smart woman lead 
and predatory, some kind of predatory presence that seems to be male. And at one point I thought to myself, well, traditionally this is very much like any kind of slasher movie. You have a woman and then there's someone trying to kill them or they're going to go down into the basement and typically they're fighting against that. And we as the audience are like, you know, don't go there, do this or whatever. And it occurred to me when I was watching the movie, I liked this as an idea was that as much as I was frustrated that she wasn't more pissed off or more like pushing back when, you know, the, the child or the priest or whatever really seems to be um, giving her, you know, really being, you know, really being invasive, invasive and everything. Like I, I start to think to myself that like, maybe the point is that, it's not about can she fight back? You know, can she does, does does she need to stand up for herself? Does she need to do this? I was thinking to myself, maybe it's the point is that she really shouldn't have to is that she really should be able to live her life and not have to deal with these men, with these these kind of people, you know, and everything. Yeah. And I don't mind that as an, as an idea that it's like it's not about her kicking ass. It's about the fact that that's not the kind of world that she should be in in the first place or any woman. And I would agree with that. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. I just don't nah, – I, I don't know. Again, sort of to your point, it's like even if that is something that's like kind of on the – sort of what's going on, again, I feel like – again, I just want you know more meat on those bones. I, I want I want to I want to continue that conversation and see where that goes. I, I'm just not really sure it goes anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I agree. As much as I was intrigued by what I was seeing in the finale of this movie, it just didn't feel like it offered, again, not like concrete answers, but just more of something beyond what I could have, what I basically gleaned in like the first 30 minutes of this movie. It like I, I felt like it had a great setup to some kind of, you know, more resonance climax, and I just, I don't feel like I got that out of this. Um, and I... I sort of feel like without saying what happens at the end, I I sort of felt like as long as as long as Garland is going to go there with this, I think we can say grotesque kind of imagery. Mm-hmm. I sort of wish that, again, her her character maybe became more maybe in something like uh, Titan, where there's there's also imagery in that which can be very uncomfortable and kind of like body horror esque, but the character is sort of like in it. And, and there's a remove that I feel like Harper has in this where I'm like, ah, it's like, I wish it was more like, like active because I'm not, well, against... that's, the, that's the thing too, because and not, I know we're dancing around like things that happen at the ending with this, but it's like, it doesn't, but once we're once we're in the kind of zone that we're in in the final you know ten minutes of this movie, it, it doesn't feel like the two characters involved, or like the two visual bodies involved on screen are connecting in a way where both of them are finding some kind of emotional catharsis or something like that. It just feels like they're still kind of they're both observing the other. But not, not, you know, the the combination of both isn't like reaching some kind of like profound point that needs to be made. Yeah, actually, that's a good. I I like that observation. Yeah, I would agree. 
Um, um, I we're we're you know we're saying a lot <laughs> as far as like where this thing goes. But like before we get there, I mean there is like again like I said, I think the first hour this thing's pretty great. I, I think there's a lot of like great setup as far as what this house is, what you know the, where they are, uh, the look of this whole movie, that tunnel scene you mentioned. I think it's pretty spectacular um, for a variety of reasons as far as the kind of the freedom that Harper's character is showing, the way the score is playing with you, and then like the way it turns itself into being something more nefarious. Did, like, did you approve? Like, obviously, I think you, you there's a lot that you like about this movie, even there's things that you're focusing on that are negative. But did you appreciate like the earlier stuff in here? Oh yeah, I love yeah that 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 tunnel scene um, is 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 really 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 compelling and like such a great use of like space. Well, I mean, I guess he's always really good with space, but like because it's this it's this black dark tunnel but like on the on either side of it because you're in this english english countryside there's really this really lush beautiful kind of green like uh you know color and it's it's just the contrast is really great you know and then she you know she kind of makes this little sound that echoes and just the way that builds because we know what kind of movie it is so i just keep waiting for something to happen i'm like all right something creepy is gonna like something here and you know there is like and it's yeah it's pretty effective like um and the same way the flashback stuff which has more of a red a reddish orange yeah, it's very very committed tone, to a certain like, that's really pretty too yeah, yeah the color palettes are but i mean garland's really good with that stuff so like that stuff's really effective like and i will say that garland like glazer and i'm sure some other uh filmmakers we can think of sometimes when you have filmmakers that are great at what we call like sort of landscape visuals sure you're like wow look at this landscape sometimes the human performances can feel a little uh flat because they're because the director's not that's not really what they're interested in what they're interested in is it's almost like being painterly but his movies always have really good performances and so she's great like you said she does a she does a lot with how she's reacting like not necessarily dialogue but like what she's what she says to her what she conveys with her eyes and stuff and like yeah yeah all that's that's really good i even there's a scene where she's her she's facetiming a friend who was like oh i want to see the house and of course, classic horror movie, we're like, well, we're like, we're wondering, is the person on FaceTime going to see something in the background or are we going to see it? Because if you say I'm going to show you this house and we know that there's probably some kind of monster or something, we're waiting for something in the background. And it's very well done. Like it's mm-hmm. yeah, all that stuff's great. Yeah. Like you said, that. yeah, I mean, it's nine. What is it? It's. Is it 90 minutes? I don't know how long the movie it's is. It's a little longer than that. It's like 90 minutes and longer with credits, but it's pretty much a 90 minute movie. But it feels like the first two thirds are 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 great, are very compelling and stuff. Here's, so here's yeah. a here's a question for you as far as kind of the performances go. I have a couple thoughts on this, but actually, but the first one we've seen, you know, we've we've mentioned Alec Garland's other films, um, which all you know have ostensibly female leads in them. Um, as far as uh, Alicia Vikander and Ex Machina, Natalie Portman, and like the whole cast of, of Annihilation, ostensibly, um, and then you have now this movie with Jesse Buckley's character. Uh, do you do you appreciate Garland's approach to you know f- uh, female-driven stories, their experiences told by you know this guy? I do, but of course, 
obviously, you know, this is, you know, we're doing a podcast and we're, you know, we're two men. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of women who like Alex Garland's work um, and I would love to, you know, see what their perspective is on it. But yes, for me personally, yeah, yeah. I, I've always, I, I, I don't think he treats his, I think all his, uh, all his leads which, like you said, are in these three movies are women. I think that they're all pretty layered and everything. I've I've always liked, you know, yeah. I, I've never had an issue. I, I can appreciate what he's trying to do, you know, in in telling these stories and making things that are complex based on gender dynamics to some degree. Specifically with this movie, obviously, in Ex Machina, where that seems to be emphasized greatly, uh, where Annihilation feels like you know, they just happen to be women. Um, that does it not inform the film, and I do think it's it's less of a it, it's less of a like plot driven aspect of the story compared to a movie that's literally called Men <laughs> that focuses on like this woman dealing with all these men or Ex Machina, which is entirely playing up the you know how 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 can these three people outsmart each other essentially. Um, with that in mind, um, I do like this is a thought that I've had about this film and whether something's intentional or not. You have Rory Kinnear, uh, as we've mentioned, who ends up playing every per every man in the village that, that that Harper is in. That's the bigger and flashier role, like obviously. Like that has the role that's the role that has more to do. It's some you know, it's more impressive as far as he has to give a range of different performances. In a movie that's about the idea that men are terrible and you have this one woman who's trying to, you know, keep her wits about her, is it intentional by garland to give the man the bigger flashier role like is that something that you think that he's willfully like completely aware of or is it like this unintentional side effect of having him play all these characters i kind of feel like it's an unintentional i sort of feel like it's an unintentional side effect although i will say that it's true that like while i wouldn't say he's i mean uh rory kinnear's is the only character who really is, or the only actor who's really allowed some sem- semblance of humor, which I would sort of say sure. is the same thing of like, well, you the know, friend, the, I guess, but, you know, by default, the, the well, uh, I guess that's true. But like, I, there's just like the, 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 the landlord character is just kind of naturally funny. There is an yes. awkwardness about him. Yes. that is like when he's there, I, I'm usually smiling. She like, did, like Harper describes him as very country, which is, yes. Is funny yes. And I would say, say that, to a degree, I would say, you know, Oscar Isaac in Ex Machina is another character that, like, you know, the him dancing became, like, a meme and stuff. Like, sure, I do think that in some way those two male characters get to imbue a little, like, like a levity. And by levity, it sort of makes them human in a weird way. Um, oh, but... yeah, I mean, like, Oscar Isaac's character, like, the whole thing is... He's trying to be a bro with Donald Gleason, but I think the genius of his role is he's doing that very on purpose to keep Donald Gleason's guard down, essentially, <laughs> while he like basically Correct. experiments on him and on Ava, right? Um Yeah, I would no, I would agree. And then and actually as a side thing, did you watch Devs? I have not watched Devs as of yet. I like Devs. I I don't think it's perfect, but um but Debs is uh, another. I mean, that was Alex Garland's limited series that he did. I guess in between these uh, yes. two projects, Annihilation and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I I kind of think I see what you're saying, but but I really think that there's, you know, it, it's interesting. It could be a case 
of why are these two male characters in these films maybe a little more like funny or loose or whatever, you know, even though it works for the plot too. Mm-hmm. Um, you maybe there's an argument to be made that like when we say that Garland has these compelling, strong female leads, he he might, or it might be that his casting is so good that it, cause, cause I can totally see this movie if it wasn't Jesse Buckley and it was an actress who didn't have as much in her t- in, in in her toolbox i can see the role not being as compelling so there might be something to say that garland trusts the performers he's casting that they're going to be able to bring something that maybe the script doesn't have so certainly it's certainly possible like um but thankfully i think that portman and buckley and vikander have really done a lot with those roles I would agree. I mean, you you have two Oscar winners and one Oscar nominee, so it's like, yeah, all right, they they doing their job. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. Um, and I really think I think Buckley. I had a I had to remind myself that I was like, oh, she's in the, you know, I'm thinking of ending things. And I was like, she's a pretty interesting performer. Um, I don't feel like I've for it feels like I haven't seen enough of her work. I feel like I've seen that big stuff, but I'm sure there's a lot of stuff I haven't seen because she's. I mean, she's probably been acting for probably over a decade by now she's, like, uh, she's relatively new like her, like again this movie beast from 2017 was like her first like big role like before that was literally all short films and like some tv stuff oh okay. so, so she's not been around that long in the scheme of things um and then yeah like i'm thinking of ending things and a few other movies like only recently you know that's you know propped her uh, the lost daughter obviously got her an oscar nomination so i mean it's, there's there's stuff there in recent years, but yeah, it's no, she hasn't been around necessarily. Can I, can I ask you, can yeah. I ask you, you know, Garland in general, I know that we could argue that like anytime you're dealing with things that are possibly not real or whatever, it's all sort of the same bag. But I will say it was interesting to me that I typically think of Garland as more sci-fi or at least speculative like kind of fiction and this is not that. This is not te- – there really is nothing about technology in this story no, certainly by all. comparison to his other movies, yeah. Yeah. So, like – so how did you feel about it? Did you feel like, oh, his the transition was fine? Like, you didn't mind it? Or or would you hope that his next project takes him back to science fiction? I mean, I feel like in his science fiction work, he has more interesting things to go after. Like, even in the movies that have – flawed or maybe finales that don't quite add up in the same way that the previous two thirds do. I do think that the questions he's proposing in those films, there's interesting stuff to say, or there's metaphors and themes that I appreciate because I'm still thinking about them. Again, I've come around a lot on sunshine as far as where it goes, but even before that, I still think like the ideas it's putting out there are interesting to like delve into. Um, The same can be said for frankly, all of his movies. Um, with men, it like I don't think he's not a natural fit for horror. His previous films all have elements of horror in them. Annihilation obviously has one of like the fucking scariest bears I've ever seen in a movie. Um, <laughs> and like you know, Twenty Eight Days Later, despite what Danny Boyle wants to say, is a zombie movie. Um, so I mean, like it's not like he's not used to incorporating horror in some degree anyway. Um, as a director, I think he does great with it. I mean, I'm very tense watching Men. I do think the but that tunnel scene, obviously, you mentioned, but, like, that scene in the house you also mentioned where she's on FaceTime, like, there's a lot of tension in that because of the nature of what's taking place during that sequence. And in the finale, 
I mean, it's regardless of like where it goes on a you know visual effects slash thematic level, it's still also a home invasion thriller at that point. So I mean, it's as far as his fit in this genre goes, I think he certainly knows how to acquit himself from a kind of uh, suspense standpoint and communicating to you visually what you need to do as far as getting you to a certain emotional state. Like, I don't think he's unqualified to do something like this. I just, as if I'm going off of just one film, it does seem like I want there to be more for him to have to say, if given the kind of filmmaker he's proven himself to be when it comes to this genre, as opposed to just sci-fi, but sci-fi does seem like he has more interesting questions in mind as opposed to this, where it's like, geez, men are right. Men are really, are, men are really terrible, aren't they? Uh, let, me, yeah. let, me, let me make a movie about that. And it's like, okay, what else? I mean, they're terrible, right? It's like, okay, Alex, what, yeah, what else? <laughs> like, I agree. Totally. Um, well, here's one more question for you um, before you kind of wrap this up. This is another A24 horror film. It got a, a whopping D plus on cinema score, as one would generally expect for a movie that's this against its audience. <laughs> um, oh, it got a B plus. Honestly, I thought it was be lower. A D so plus. Actually, yeah. Wait, did you say D? D, D for dog. Oh, all right. <laughs> I thought you said B plus. No, like, wow, no, not, not even close. You know, it's really, you know, it's really strange for me when we say that though is that the cinema score. I always thought that that's really weird to me because when. When Solaris got a famous F, it made sense because I think it was still a big studio and it was George Clooney. So you could have people not thinking yeah. of how what the what the source material was, and they're just like, "Oh, I thought it was just going to be this cool George Clooney romance sci-fi. This is terrible." I get it. Anybody who's going to see Men, A24 limited screens. I'm really surprised it's a D plus that because this is not like my mom going to see, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm surprised. Doesn't that surprise you? Cause these, cause it's, it basically be like you and I seen it and it's like, I'm not, we're not giving it a D plus. Like that surprises me. I mean, the cinema score thing though, you have to apply like a certain, <laughs> a certain curve to it where if anything, it's a bit heartening to see D plus as opposed to F because people are that used to a two, four films as far as horror goes where they're like, yeah, all right. Like, I know what I was... Like, if it got an F, I'd still be like, oh, we're still doing this where we don't realize the film we're going to see? Where this feels like, <laughs> given this curve that I'm trying to establish, it's like, for the most part, because it's not that low, it's it's merely a D+. There was at least more people that were less... Ex or more or less expecting what they were going to get, as opposed to those that were blindsided by what an A24 horror film tends to mean. Um, certainly ones that are on this kind of scale as opposed to something like hereditary or the witch which i assume have like c's or b minuses because they're more they give you more of the thing you expect to see where something like the fame it comes at night a movie i really like that got an f because i think it was advertised as a like post-apocalyptic zombie kind of movie uh where it's in fact much slower and much more not that exactly uh then I mean, going by the ad, it's like, I mean, it basically tells you what you're going to get in this movie. <laughs> it feels like audiences on the limited basis that they go on this kind of thing. It's like, yeah, for sure. Plenty of people hated this. The movie's designed to be hated by a lot of audiences, I feel like. But there was less of the people that were completely blindsided by what was going on here. Does that make sense? Yeah. I see what you're it's saying. It's a weird, yeah. like, sliding curve of cinema score. Because it's it's rare that people films fall, like, directly in the middle in like C minus C zone, like that has to be, that's like a decidedly mixed kind of thing. But like, 
but they're like B plus. That's fine, but not great, even though it says B plus. Even A minus is like, for the most part, yeah, it's good. It, like A is like I, it's like good. I loved it. But like, like audiences have a weird way of grading things when it comes to that kind of stuff. Or like B is like bad. <laughs> like B is like not what, I, not exactly what I wanted. It was fine. Like B. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, I just still ah oh, D plus. Like yeah, but you're right. I mean yes, it is certainly better than F. Like if people is... if people absolutely hated it and not only hated it but hated it because they had they like were promised something but didn't get that thing. That's what an F is. Like, and this movie didn't get that. So it's like, okay, people are a little more weary of what they're, what they're, what they're coming to get here. True. True, 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 true. Um, with, do you think, with the, do you think this movie will age well? Um, for Garland fans? I mean, do you think it'll that's a have fun, it? That's a fun question. Um, my takeaway coming out of it was, I don't know if I need to see this again. Like, I watch Ex Machina Annihilation I'm happy to watch those again. I think there's interesting stuff in there, and I I like watching them. I don't know if men's a movie. I'm like, I should probably watch this again in six months and see how I feel. Like, I feel like I got everything I needed out of it. How about you? I feel that way too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I do. I I agree. I feel that way also. Um, so so go, going back, going back to my because we just got soft on cinema score. Going back to my question, um, this is this is an A24 horror film that typically gets this kind of lower rating, but regardless. We, we we had Scream bring this up back in January. Do you lean more towards what A2, what movies like A2, or studios like A24 and other smaller studios are delivering in, as far as the horror space goes, or are you still intrigued by mainstream horror? Like, is there one that you prefer, or? Um, you know, I saw, you and I are on a Facebook thread and, where someone was talking about, oh, these A24 movies need to lay off the horror's metaphor like thing and i think that i'm always going to be in a24's corner when they're making horror that has that like specific kind of i don't want to say handmade but very like someone's point of view you know and so well made and stuff type of thing um but i mean i you know i still love a you know i still love a a final destination or whatever type of thing. I'll say, how about this? I'll say this. I, I pretty much, I am more of the mindset that if I'm thinking of horror as something that's really going to get under my skin, um, I do kind of think it's more going to be an A24 or a smaller studio. However, having said that, I do think that horror is not always just about disturbing you. I think horror can be a, a fun slasher movie. I think horror can be like, a, a jump scare like type of thing. So for those kind of things, I, you know, I still like the conjuring because we would say that, right? The conjuring movies are Warner brothers. They're not really the kind of thing that's going to like keep you up at night, but they're still well. I, mean, they're, they're, I, acting, I know you what know? you're saying, but many would disagree. People, some people love the conjuring because it's so no, scary. I, do too. I like the conjuring, no, but, 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 but specifically because it's so scary to them. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, you know, like, I, mean, I love okay. the exorcist, but the exorcist didn't keep me up at night. But 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 plenty of people are terrified of the Exorcist. You correct. I guess I was just trying to say that I think that there is there is like like comedy or anything else. There are many different types of things that we can consider scarier or horror films. And I do think that A24 or studios like that 
because I feel like Neon has probably made movies like this too that are like genuinely creepy and get under my skin and like I like I really like those that those kind of films are doing well and that people are interested in them. Um, so I think I, I guess sadly I think my answer to you is it I guess it kind of depends on the mood. Like I don't need to see a twenty four hire um who's the guy who did i know you don't love them but who's the happy birth happy death day guy chris um landon yes christopher landon like those movies are I those like freaky like, friday a lot or freaky sorry um, no it's not freaky, it's freak, freaky. Uh, free just freaky yeah yeah and those are studio those are universal movies and like mid-budget or whatever and yeah yeah it's still, I, they're, they're still blumhouse they're not that big big budget they're like maybe 10 million at most but i, I know what oh, you're no, saying I realized that's interesting where would where do we put blumhouse i guess blumhouse is less i guess we would say artisanal Blumhouse is more like they're they're making originally micro budget. Yeah, the, but, yeah, they're right. making friendly mainstream horror on a budget, and they're successful. And Jason Blum has proven to be very successful at doing that. That's the thing. Right, right. Like, I mean, I'm very excited for Nope. So, I mean, well, that's not Blumhouse anymore. That's just that. That's, oh yeah, oh, that's, right. that's, that's just Jordan Peele. Getting, Wait, was Get Out? Blumhouse? Get Get Out was Blumhouse. Um, Us. Us was not. Okay. Because he's exceeded the budgets at that point. Like, Us was like $60 million or something like that. Nope is like another. Oh, okay. Like, All right. he's, he's making more and more expensive movies. Blumhouse is not doing that. <laughs> it's like, um, he won an Oscar. I, he can do whatever he wants now. <laughs> he I do. I will say this, though. I really like that. I, I like that we that we have somehow come around. I mean, I guess you could say it's always been this way. But when I think of old-timey, you know, when I think of the older golden age of Hollywood, I do think of like, what it meant, what an MGM movie was, you know, what does that mean? What is an MGM film? And I like that, you know, we're in an era where so many, not just hardcore movie lovers, but even casual, I would say even casual movie lovers, like they know what an A24 movie is. I like sure. that, that a kind of studio, it's like, this is the kind of movies that they sort of make. I kind of like that. I think that that's – and again, they're not all perfect or whatever, but I do like that that that's in that, that that occupies a, a specific space. It's a strength you know? of brand, that's for sure. Like, yeah, they, yeah. They, you know, not everybody's in the know necessarily, but yes, there's enough like film literate people that are even on a general basis that can recognize – you know, something like, yeah, all right, this is that studio that does this kind of thing versus, you know, something else. So it, it's something interesting to consider. I, I'm with you as far as, I mean, it, a good movie is a good movie. Like, I'm not one that's looking at A24 and saying, that's the better version of this thing. It's, you know, like, yes, they make a lot of movies that I appreciate. So does other studios that, you know, do this kind of thing. Um, all right, so... That should be that should be our talk about men. When should people go and see this movie, Peter? I think you could pro like, even though it is so gorgeous and everything, um, I think you can probably wait for streaming. I am in the same camp as you. I do think you can wait, you know, watch this on a, a nice 4K stream to get the visual oh, sure. intensity yeah. of it. Because I do think, yeah, I think we both agree. There's a lot of great, it's a great looking movie. There's a lot of good stuff in here as far as if you want to have a visually interesting horror experience, there's a lot of that in here. It, it just doesn't quite come together, I think, is for us as well as it could, it's it could or should or would. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about men. Let's um, let's move on now. Before we get to another uh, 
another like review of sorts. I I want to ask you, Peter. You saw Downton Abbey: colon, A New Era, correct? Yep, I did. What are you? I, 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 for why so blue? Uh, good. I I have not seen any Downton Abbey. I've not watched the show. I've not seen the movies. Uh, I assume that you are a fan of the uh, of the. I am. Of I'm the not Abbey. Big, I have friends and my I have friends and I have family members who have legit watched the six seasons like three times. I am not that they have crazy. Down, they have Downton Sundays. They dress up. Yeah, they are like, they're really like, they just love it. And, and, and even, and when I'm always like, really, that season four was terrible. Like, uh, they're just like, yeah, it's not great, but you know, um, but I, I, yes, I really like, I actually, I, you know, I re I rewatched Downton, um, maybe four months, four or five months ago. And it's I I do I really enjoy it. I think the tricky thing about the Downton Abbey series is that it is the kind of thing where it is it has great period detail, it has you know good acting and you know all that kind of stuff. I think it could be a mistake to go into Downton Abbey and think that you are getting essentially like classic '90s Merchant Ivory stuff. It's not really that. It's more on the level of essentially like a soap opera. And I do not mean that as an insult or anything. It's just that if you're thinking this is sophisticated, it's like not really. It's it's like that's 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 a mistake. And I think I originally when it first aired, I was thinking it was supposed to be like Howard's End or something. And I was like, really? I was like, I don't know. This stuff is a little silly, you know, but I, I've come around to that. And I think that's why. It has fans who rewatch it a bunch of times is that it is kind of like a soap opera and stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I was looking forward to uh, the new one, uh, a new era. So uh, I it was curious to, to see how it would be. So obviously you saw the previous film. Did that like where this film stands? Is this like just like another story in Downton or is there like a finality to anything or what, what's going on? There what's are the a here? few. I did not mention this in, in my review, but. There, there is one particular thing that is a that if that if this is the last Downton Abbey thing we ever see, it's not. It, it kind of would fit. It'd be like, oh, that is sort of a thing that happens. That if you were to do another Downton Abbey, this thing would not be there anymore. And so in that way, yes, it, there is a definitive thing. But in general, what is Downton Abbey said? Oh, Downton Abbey is basically uh, a year or two before World War One, and now okay. that's that's season one. Okay. Season two is World War One. Now we're in. They say because it's it's because I because uh, I know you edited my review. They um, a film crew comes, and at the time the jazz singer has come out. So is that the 30s or so, yeah, 20s? That's, that's like late 20s, early 30s at most. Yeah, okay. So I guess we could argue – so look, I mean the show came on about 12, 13 years ago. But I would say the time span of the characters is about 20 years. Okay. So that's about right. Um, yeah. So Hugh Bonneville's like the godfather now. Is that how it's working? Wait, what? Hugh Bonneville's like the Godfather now. He went to Italy, came back, and now he's <laughs> yes, family. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the new, the new movie though is, I mean, I and I've said this before that, and it's probably just my experience, but like, 
I always feel like when you take a television show and you make it into a movie, in general, it is basically, especially if it's the same cast of actors and, and everything. I mean, they are in general just extended episodes. You know, it is like the Star Trek movies are a lot like that to me where it's like it's really just, you know, a bonus, you know, a, a bigger, a, a bigger, more expensive looking episode of of Star Trek or whatever. Um this particular one sort of reminded me – I did not bring this out and review it. It sort of reminded me of Toy Story 4 or at least the criticism that Toy Story 4 got, which was that it's like, did this movie do, need to exist? I really love Toy Story 4, but like I know that was a thing was that people were like, oh, first three Toy Stories, it's perfect, it's, it's perfect little ending. You don't really need this one. And I and my answer to that was always like maybe, maybe we didn't need it, but I thought it was really entertaining and – I thought it took I thought it took Woody in particular and, you know, I thought it did kind of like progress him as a character uh, and everything. And I would say here the sto- the two stories of a new era are pretty light and it's like, nah, you don't really need to see this story. But I always like seeing old Hollywood. I like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I So the notion of Hollywood coming to I'm actually surprised we haven't seen that before. It's like. How have we not done that? But I guess the era, it makes sense. It's like, well, now we're, like you said, we're now in the late 20s. A new era. And, yeah. And so, yeah, a new era. And of course, having just watched, you know, Singing, Singing the Rain, the 70th anniversary came out, and they take a, you know, they basically take the pre- same thing. It's like, oh, they shot a movie for silent, and now they're going to have to make it a talkie. But obviously, one actor is better suited for, for their voice than the other. And it works. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I thought it was a very it is strange how I cannot deny the artistry of something like men. But if, you know, if, you know, I know grades are stupid anyways, but it's like, yeah, I I guess I did prefer a new era, era, at least for what it's doing. It's like, yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, because they're not competing against each other. They're competing against themselves. But it's a matter of your you know you're you're matching up what the ambition was versus the execution right where men feels like it's setting up something that's could re you know could um, yield better results and ultimately just kind of comes up feeling a little shallow i feel like downton abbey sight unseen the expectation is probably at a certain place where it's like yeah there's just more of this thing that i like and they did that thing well is that fair to say that's fair to say yeah yeah. Like, it, um, it doesn't sound like it's the best episode of Downton Abbey, but it's still giving you more of Downton Abbey. Right. And I would say that they're still in that sweet spot of, you know, the show is only, you know, over, you know, the show was ended seven years ago and altogether a little over a decade that it's been around. We are not at that. I do think they're they're in that sweet spot of they can, you know, they can they didn't they didn't bring back Lily James. Um, but like because Lily James sort of I feel like she sort of became a name somewhat because of Downton Abbey. I feel like that's sort of her breakout uh, was, was Downton Abbey, but well, I would that say and then general, going on to just do movies, same with um, right, just movies same, and stuff, same, but, same with what's his name, Dan, um, the guest, um, <laughs> Dan, Oh, Dan Stevens. Um, Dan yeah. Stevens. Well, Dan Stevens, he most notably, that's why season four sucks. Uh, Dan Steven left at the end of season three, and so his character gets spoiler alert. His character got killed off, 
And it was because I think he did the guest and he was starting to do movies and stuff. And he's great. I really like Dan Stevens, but he was he was a very good part of the show. So when he left, I was like, oh, so uh, he was carrying the show on his back. You're saying, OK, I well, I wouldn't say that. But I mean, he was yeah, he was one of the better one of the better, you know, characters, like, actors on the show. And but, he doesn't um, come back in this movie as a zombie. <laughs> no, he does not. Okay. Or, or flashbacks. Well, I'm done. definitely out then. <laughs> but um, but I will say that like the show is in the, the the movies are still in that sweet spot where I mean I guess it's different for Toy Story because it's just voice actors. But like there's a point I think if you have a beloved show and you keep doing made for TV movies or movies to the screen where there's a point where you're like. Are these actors kind of phoning it in or they're just they're just doing that thing they do and it's like, yeah, but I'm like, no, 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 actually, no, I think all the actors in this are still like they're still very present for their characters. So because I do think, you know, it's a sliding scale. Eventually you get to a point where if you do too many of these, it's going to be like, ah, these actors, they don't seem like they want to be here anymore. It's, no, no. It, and that's not it. It's like, no, everyone's still there. There's that chemistry. The banter still works. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It is very much a, the kind of matinee I am sure I'll be talking to my mom later today. I'm being, I'm wondering if she went and saw it. So that could be a fun discussion. Does, um, Dame Maggie Smith say anything sassy? Yeah, of course. That's, okay. that's, <laughs> that's, that's, the, countess, that's the countess does. I, like, I can't uh, believe it. <laughs> yes. Uh, she, she pulls it off. I mean, yeah, I like, uh, I like makes it. I actually will say, I actually like, I mean, she's pretty good on Downton Abbey. I always kind of wish she did more in Harry Potter because I, I mean, I really like her. McGonagall. Yeah, I always felt like McGonagall's like it's okay. Like she's good, but she doesn't really get as much. I don't really think like like I feel like Alan Rickman or, or Oldman, like those actors, their parts, they they get to do some good stuff. And well, they're Harry also Potter. like. Their characters are central to the plot. I don't know these books. I don't know if there's no, more right. monocle right. in the books that applies yeah. directly to like their origins as characters or whatnot. But like Snape and Sirius Black, like those those are tied to Harry Potter beyond just he's a teacher of mine. Like they have more to do with his character, right? So that's why there's more of them. It's true. And even another Downton person, uh, Imelda Staunton, who comes uh -huh. who came in Rita, later. Rita Skeeter. Yeah, I mean, she's she's so terrifying in uh, – is that the fifth one? The Order of the Phoenix? H-Poop? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is – and actually, I think that like, – I feel like that was my first time when I saw Imelda Staunton was was in Order of the Phoenix. Sorry, so, Umbridge. She's not Rita. Rita's Oh, Umbridge. Miranda, Miranda Richardson. Uh, yeah, Dolores Umbridge. That's Imelda Staunton. She's the mean, horrible teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who makes the scar or the burn in his arm or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean – but she's not like that in <laughs> Downton Abbey. She doesn't maim any quite, children. Quite in that pleasant, movie. like okay. so. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh, another thing I wanted to say. Just I know it's wanted to talk too much about this. I will say I do think Downton has done a. And again, I'm not gay, but I feel like uh, there is a main character that is closeted uh, throughout Downton, and I. And, and he, in many ways, is a very unlikable character, um, not because he's gay. For for other reasons, he's kind of a dick. Um, but I do think that his character has had a nice kind of growth eventually. And he has some nice moments with um, Dominic West in this movie is, uh, is supposed to be like this big actor. And again, because it's the 20s, it's like the show can only kind of hint at certain things. But it's not bad. Like for that kind of thing, it's like. 
yes. I was like, there's there's something there. There's a flirt going on, but you know, it cannot be cannot be said. So I think that works better than you would think for this kind of story. So again, I'm not saying it's amazing, but eh, it's nice. All right. Well, there's some thoughts on Downton Abbey: A New Era. Thank you, Peter, for humoring me on that one. I was curious <laughs> for the fans of of that series. Um, okay. Let's move on. Let's get to uh, let's get to some talk about Chippendale Rescue Rangers. So, what's been up with you? Oh, you know, this, that, other vague things to fill the space of this conversation. Okay, well, you look the same. Yeah, thanks. And you look different. Ah, hey, it's no secret I had the CGI surgery done, and it's done wonders rejuvenating my career. I'm actually starring in a play tonight. But man, I tell you, the real hot ticket is Rescue Rangers. There's even some buzz about a reboot. Someone started a Facebook fan page for it and everything. Crikey, a Facebook fan page? But don't just give those away. Oh, he's full of it, Monty. No one's talking about a Rescue Rangers reboot except for him. What? The fans are hungry for it. Look, I came here to help Monty, not get caught up in some Hollywood nonsense. So, great to take this skip down memory lane, but I've got to go. Monty, if you're really in trouble, you know how to find me. Dale, you were also here. All right, so that should have been a little bit of Rescue Rangers. Writers Dan Greger and Doug Mand have teamed up with director Akiva Schaffer to deliver a relaunch of Chip and Dale cartoon characters and best friends who are revealed to actually be actors that once starred on a Rescue Rangers TV series, only to break up after the show is canceled. When their former co-star, Monterey Jack, disappears, the two estranged friends get back together to solve the mystery, exploring various areas of Hollywood filled with different animated properties, good and bad. Peter, do you, do you, like, do you know the Rescue Rangers beyond like this movie? Like, Did you watch the show at all? Uh, no, I didn't really like I've I feel like I've seen little Disney shorts with Chip and Dale, do, you know, doing their little song and dance and stuff. But I not really. That's, no. that's not the show. That's just the Disney characters that existed like that. Yeah, the, yeah, I did not know the show, but I knew I sort of knew the characters, but not too much. No. All right. Well, you, you've now watched this movie. Uh, what did you think? And, and, and strangely, I feel like I, I guess I knew more of uh Alvin and the Chipmunks, which clearly, as seen in this movie, they do not love. Um, I thought it was okay. I think, strangely, this is kind of a weird one because it's not like this movie's getting raves and it's essentially like a direct to Disney Plus movie. But it is getting I raves. Some, oh, then well, I mean, okay. Well, then if if that is true, then I will say I I think I guess I was kind of disappointed, like because. I had heard, I saw some video review where they even showed that, like, even, they're like, this is the best thing since Roger Rabbit, and Roger Rabbit shows up, and they, like, showed the clip or whatever, and so I was like, oh, I was like, I didn't know that, I was like, this might be pretty good, and I thought it was okay, like, I mean, yes, I mean, even Beavis and Butthead, or even Butthead shows up, like, on a sign, there are tons of Easter eggs, and I think that uh, Andy Samberg uh, and um, John John Mulaney are doing a good job and I don't necessarily care that the story's not a big deal. Like the central mystery is kind of whatever. I don't care about that. Like that's not a big deal to me. It's more that I just, for a movie that's like, I think a little more than 90 minutes. I don't know how long the credits were. It's a little, it's, it's It's 97 minutes of credits. It's, I don't know. It felt very, I thought it was the kind of thing that felt very much like, you know, it's for kids, but it has a lot of jokes that adults are going to get and everything. 
but I guess I just didn't feel a lot of like fun momentum like going on. I liked the opening a lot. I liked like seeing them. And then like you said, it's like, what if they were, they were actors and then he's got, wait, what is his spy show? That Double gets O'Dale. Double O'Dale. Like that's pretty funny and stuff like, but yeah, I thought it was okay. Like I, again, I'm not saying it sucked or anything, but maybe it was strangely a little overhyped. Maybe if I had watched this with no one saying anything, I would have been pleasantly surprised and be like, well, this is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but because I had heard, again, some person say, best thing since Roger Rabbit, I was like, okay, that's a pretty high bar. And I was like, well, it's not, let's not go crazy. It's not that. Unless you're about to tell me, Pete, you're crazy. It's the best thing since Roger Rabbit. I'm not going to, but are you, I'm curious, are you like a Lonely Island fan? Like this style of, with Sandberg and Schaefer, like in that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved, I liked all the SNL stuff. I like, uh, what is it? Pop star. Pop never star. stop pop. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I would say I like that stuff. Yes, I'm a, I'm a fan. Fair enough. I'm just curious. Um, I do wonder, like, I don't think this is necessarily, like, only for 90s kids, but, like, I'm a 90s kid, and I knew I know the Rescue Rangers or whatnot, um, and let alone a lot of things that are being, like, referenced specifically. And the, and I feel like that's very similar to to what Mulaney and Sam, but even then, like, they're in their 40s at this point. Like, they're, they're older than I am, for sure. Um I would say, like, I think this movie is very funny. It's nowhere near who we frame Roger Rabbit for a variety of reasons. It's not as ingeniously directed, and it doesn't have the it doesn't have that it factor that I think Bob Hoskins provides as being like the one live action force that's doing exactly what what like the the, the perfect acting performance that goes alongside these comedic um, animation things that are taking place. Like, I think he's he's such a great stable line in that movie where this doesn't really have that. Um, and like the notion of who Frey Roger Rabbit of being this kind of like China play, like Neo noir. That's really fun <laughs> where this, the mystery here is fairly inconsequential. That's it. It does deal with some pretty dark feet. I mean, this is a movie that deals with ostensibly drugs, human trafficking, and the idea of aging out of Hollywood. I mean, it's not light as far as what it's what it's suggesting in its themes, um, as far as like what what the plot entails. It's just doing it in a you know a humorous way, populated by Disney and other characters all around it. Um, I do think it's very funny though, but it is the kind of movie where it's you know it's it's throwing all the jokes at you and hoping a lot of it sticks. For me, a lot of it's stuck. But I don't disagree as far as not that none of it like not that like a lot of it doesn't land, but there's you can only sustain that momentum for so long if there's not a stronger story in place or a stronger character in place. Um, and this is like okay, yeah, you have Chip and Dale. It's fun. like I do think Sandberg and Mulaney, obviously they're they're, you know, they're all friends or whatnot. They have a good inter they have good interplay with each other. Like even without the reference stuff, just the dialogue, just the way they share dialogue, I think is very fun. And then there's a lot of like clever things with the edit, like the the use of hand drawn CG animation and animation styled to be like either stop motion puppets or mocap. I think that's really cleverly done. Like that that's the kind of stuff that I really latched onto. Like there's Seth Rogen as this. Oh yeah, I as liked a, as like Uncanny a, Valley. Yeah, like Uncanny that. Valley. Like and he's playing like he's not Beowulf, but he's certainly a character that exists in a movie like Beowulf and. It's designed in a certain way where it really represents what that kind of looked like, even down to like the 
the like the pixelation of the animation like it seemed like slightly off like slightly worse than what it would be today and that's something i really appreciate like there's stuff like that that i really found to be pretty clever and that's a lot like for a disney a disney movie like this that's what i was writing a lot on it's like there's a lot of clever stuff here and that's what i was responding to ultimately i get what you're saying what was i man i cannot think of it this is so obvious but when you just brought up the noir thing noir thing What's the Jason Bateman Disney one? The one that Yancey, friend of the show, doesn't love, but the rest of us do. Jason Bateman? Is there something obvious that I'm not remembering? No, 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 animated. The Oh, Zootopia. Oh, I love Zootopia. Yeah, Zootopia. I was like, wait, isn't it Jason Bateman? Uh, Jason Bateman. I I don't don't think of, like, him first. It's like, yeah, he's in it. Yeah, okay. Like, I I think of Zootopia, I think of the animal movie. He's the the co-lead. He's not the lead. But even then, it's like, I don't think of, like, the voices. I just think of, like, the animal one, Zootopia. No, 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 that's true. That's true. But I guess I would say, like, how about this? Like, one, I think Zootopia is way better. Yes, Uh, I do agree. But two, there's no as as I thought Chippendale, I thought, had moments that made me, like, like it made me smile, like or chuckle. There's nothing like that sloth scene. Like that's, that's fair. Like, okay. Like that's a great. It's like, oh man, that's pretty great. It's like that's an all timer. Like uh, that's a yeah. I guess that's... in that way, it's just I. I was just like, yeah, it's not like because that because that story gets that. That means Utopia is dark too. You know, yeah. there's definitely a lot going on in that story. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it. I. I think it's yeah. You're right, but it might be the whole '90s kid thing. It might be your affection for this just a little more than mine but but again i am certainly not saying that yes like uh like my girlfriend hasn't seen it and i told her and she was disappointed that i watched it without her because she's like what you already watched it i was like oh we're doing it for the podcast i watched it at lunch and i was like it was all right and she's like oh really like uh, but you are right it would not surprise me if she's more like you she's like oh i really liked it like yeah you know I'm not going to begrudge anyone for not, you know, for having a better time than I do. I mean, I do think it's pretty clever and funny. Like, I do, it's, I do wonder, because I, like, I felt this way kind of about Popstar also. There's a kind of, it's not shock humor, like, not like, 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 Sasha Baron, like, the Borat stuff, that's like shock humor, where it hits you the first time, and I guess some people will enjoy it repeatedly, but I'm more like, yeah, all right, that's a good gag the first time, but it, it loses that impact when you keep seeing it. This one, I wouldn't say this is shock humor, but there's certainly, like, gags in the same way that pop 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 star has gags as and it's like i don't think it's necessarily biting it's just more of like that's a really clever thing that they did but does the impact of that like sustain itself over the course of you know multiple viewings i would say this one does have a lot of that like as far as there's a lot of good fun that i think i can continually have if i watch this over and over but not in a way that is like i mean you mentioned that slot scene like that's always funny. <laughs> like that's that that always does the job. Or like other comedies like that where they give you a kind of joke that is going to like sustain itself for every time you watch it. I think, Correct. I think Chippendale has a lot of funny things in it, but I do think a lot of a good portion of that comes from the fact that you're seeing it for that first time and it's like I did not see so and so character coming in this segment and that's funny because it's there. But when you see it again it's like yeah, that thing's coming, but is that still going to be funny? I'm, I'm thinking specifically of, like, a very specific character that they use, uh, voiced by Tim Robinson, <laughs> that I guess I won't reveal here. You could easily find it online. But, like, it's something where it's like, how did Disney get the rights to this specific thing um, and and then turn that into, like, a, a very small supporting character in this movie? And it's like, that is funny, 
but like the first time I saw it, it's never going to be as funny as the first time I saw it, I guess. I would agree. And I, I feel mean, like that applies to a, like a, a, a small percentage of the movie where Roger Rabbit is always great. Like, I mean, like that's everything about that movie is it's classic for a reason, I think. Well, I, I think I think Rabbit and Zootopia are built on a better foundation. That's the I other guess thing too, I would yeah, say. But, yeah, I would agree. Um, I mean, having said that, like, again, not as good, but I appreciated uh, – I, I thought J.K. Simmons' claymation character was really – was pretty funny. <laughs> it's just the whole thing. He collects the fingerprint or whatever. I thought uh-huh. that was pretty great. Like, uh, yeah, there's – yeah. Like, there's some yeah, great – there's some great – like, the voice casting is really doing their – like, J.K. Simmons has a couple great – right? Like, there's a one where, like, he, someone tells him, you're better than this. And he's like, no, I'm not. And it's yeah, really like funny. <laughs> Yes, I thought that was I thought that was good too. Um, yeah, I just I don't know, I just didn't I yeah it's 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 a I mean it's a thumbs up like I just was surprised. Me again, maybe I just heard my expectations were. Wait, so you're hearing best of best thing Disney Plus? Are you saying best Disney Plus um like uh, original feature as opposed to what <laughs> Avengers? Like yeah, it's as far as original well, things no, from no, Disney as Plus. Opposed it, as opposed to saying it's better than like the Mandalorian season one. I'm like, okay, I don't know about that. It's like, I mean, but you're saying, I'm, I'm assuming you mean like, yes, of the, of the weird oh, like dir- features that they produce. Yes. Yeah. They're fe- which to be honest, I don't know what other, what other major features they've had. They've like, had plenty I, of them. I will say that. And I would say that this one, this one resonates the most of all of those. I would yeah. agree with on that standing. Like I'm, um, not, I'm not counting like Pixar releases because they're Pixar movies that were just, just happened to go there. So, right. So we're not counting turning red. Sure, because that's a Pixar movie. It just happened to be released on this platform, where this was de- designed to be a movie that was always going to Disney+. Plus. Right, okay. I found yeah, a that... list of things right here, actually. There's a number of things. I'm not going to read all of them, because there's... Because there's, like, there's, Star... There's, what is it, Stargirl? Like, frankly, I know there's, some... there's Stargirl, there's Lady in the Tramp, there's... Oh, my God, there's there's a lot of things here. <laughs> what God, is that, better God, than ever? Godmothered, that... uh, Florin Ulysses... Uh, that cheaper by the dozen movie that just came out like a little while. Oh ago. yeah, that like, yeah, yeah. There, there's 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 certainly a you know a lineup of stuff here. Um, that said, like, and here's a question, I guess, before we wrap this up, would you think either would you appreciate this more if it got if it had gone theatrical if you were able to like watch this on a screen with an audience? Maybe. I mean, pop culture jokes especially ones that are generational and stuff with an audience, that stuff is pretty fun. Like if everyone's really into it, it really does make the experience pretty pleasurable. So, but I feel like I still would have been like, there's a moment early on where the, the two of them get captured pretty early. Mm-hmm. And there is just a feeling I had where I was like, Oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's what this is going to be. And I was just a little like, eh, like again, I'm not talking about whether or not the big mystery is interesting. That's not a huge deal for me. No. But I do want the machinations of, like, what's moving them forward to have a little more, like, fun no, or I, I agree with you because yeah. I think the I think the pacing is off in this movie. I think it, it hits the highs when it does. But I do think there's not necessarily lulls, but there's certainly, like, a, a, a momentum issue at times as far as keeping me invested as – as much as I am in those moments where the highs are really hitting you hard. I think that's an issue that this movie deals with, which is, you know, it's not directed by Robert Zemeckis. You know, it's it's, 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 it's not an animated movie where, you know, you, those movies are 
80 to 90 minutes on purpose because they cut, cut, cut down to the bare essentials, and that's why animated movies really work well with pacing, for the most part. True, um, for true. I agree. And, I mean, and that's kind of what gets me with Popstar also, where I think Popstar is very funny, but I do think it you know it has to sustain a level of, like, off-the-wall craziness to sustain that, and it does have, like, lulls in it because it can't always be operating on, like, an 11. And then the bit, the foundation is pretty shallow you know it's you know this guy <laughs> he's he's an overgrown man child and he sings like okay uh that's it pop star is very funny and this movie is very funny i think we both had a lot of laughs coming out of chip and dale rescue rangers but i can agree with you as far as what you're saying why it's not this like instant classic in the way that like who framed roger rabbit is yeah i yeah i'd agree i mean i mean look to be fair if you had told me the three movies that we were reviewing and what I thought was going to be my favorite, I would have said men. Uh-huh. I've been like, well, absolutely. Obviously the Alex Garland thing is going to be the best thing of those three. Like, so I mean, you know, like <laughs> life happens and it's like, yeah, you know, we are, we're, we're here and this is, this is what it is. So I was just, um, I was surprised by the cleverness of this. I do think they're like, when it, when it said like Mulaney and Andy Samberg are voicing this thing and Akiva Shopper is directing it. It's like, okay, that actually gives me a certain kind of hope. Uh, but then, like, delving into this and seeing how much leeway Disney was able to give them, that did surprise me. Like, there's more stuff in here than I would have expected from a Disney Plus release as far as, like, the amount of other studios' properties that are featured in this movie. And that, yeah. I feel like that deserves some credit. So. It is a lot. I agree. There is a lot. And, you know, yeah. Even talk, they even are even, ta- they even mention uh, Nickelodeon. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they even like pay lip service to something like Nickelodeon, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, and wait, did you know? Did you see? Uh, we see what's his name's dad in South Park for a second. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah. Dan's dad. Um, Randy. And even the fact that they have the Snoopy ear joke. Yeah. You got a Snoopy ear, like which is funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, enjoyable. I just didn't like. Wasn't blown away. Fair enough. Well, it's streaming on Disney Plus now. I feel like I just said, yeah, go see it. It's funny. Like, <laughs> it's available to watch. Uh, all right. Well, with that in mind, that is, uh, that's going to wrap it up for, uh, for this week's episode about Now 38. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing for We Live Entertainment, Wise of Blue, and sometimes Variety. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Peter Paris, where can people find more of you? Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram and YouTube as Pajamo. Uh, but I I tend to write hopefully at least weekly uh, re- theatrical reviews at whysoblue.com. I think my next one will be what's the Cronenberg movie? Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. Yes. Uh, so I'm seeing that this week. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. So whysoblue.com. Great. You can find all the other episodes about Now Theory Name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, Stitcher. Feel free to email us at nowpodcast.gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook.com, slash outnowpodcast, Twitter.com, slash outnow underscore podcast, and Instagram.com, slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Uh, next week's show, we're talking Top Gun, colon, Maverick, the 36-year-in-the-making sequel to Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> it's finally arrived. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And that's going to do it. Peter, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Once again, Abe, get well soon. And that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, so long and goodbye.